0: Commending and Contending, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Australia. I'm your host, Jonathan Holt. The Gospel Coalition Australia exists to encourage and assist Australian Christians to remain convinced of the truth and power of the gospel, to commend and tend for the gospel in our lives and our ministries, and to foster connections between individuals, churches and other ministries so that we can most effectively advance the gospel in Australia. Joining me today on the podcast is author Chris Watkins. Chris, thanks for coming on board today. Why don't you introduce yourself to those of
1: us who haven't met you yet? Thank you, Jonathan. It's it's wonderful to be here. It's got a wonderful set of questions lined up, a really refreshing set of questions. It, so it's, it's a genuine joy uh, for me to be here with you today. Look, I am, um, as everyone had been able to tell by now, no doubt, an Englishman. Um, So born and brought up in Yorkshire, uh, in the north of England. Um, And I um, studied down in the south of England, down in Cambridge. And that's where I met my wife, uh, Alison. And we now live over in Melbourne, a beautiful, sunny Melbourne, um, with uh, two children, uh, a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. I earned my crust as a lecturer. At Monash University, I'm in the European Languages Department there, and I write books on philosophy and theology, and some books on philosophy and theology. And Chris, how has God been encouraging you recently? I think, Jonathan, um, among among the many ways that that God constantly encourages me, um, despite my own sinfulness, the one that really stands out at the moment is a course that I had the the privilege and joy of teaching a couple of weeks ago to a bunch of theology students where I was taking them through the overarching story of the Bible, beginning in Genesis 1, finishing in Revelation 22. And we were just exploring how that story shapes our view of everything, of, of culture and ourselves and the people around us. And the the different ways in which those students, in ways that that I never could, just saw the Bible touching their own lives and their own circumstances in in so many different ways, was just a very deep and humbling reminder that, that God's word is unfathomably and so richly nourishing. In ways that each of us individually only ever get a tiny glimpse of, you know. So I've got a sense of how God's word helps me in my day-to-day life, and and the passages and the, the the ways of thinking in the Bible that are really precious to me. But it was just a tiny little glimpse in that class of how God's word helps and is the the thing that is needed by so many different sorts of people, incredibly diverse range of experiences in that class. You know, people in their fifties, forties, thirties, twenties. I had an ex-professional sports person. I had someone in charge of a a, a clinic helping people um, with um, pregnancies. Uh, I had uh, musicians, just such a range of people, each being nourished and challenged by God's word in ways that I hadn't expected. And it was it was humbling for me to realize that I'm a very, very small, uh, my experience of the world is is so small, um, but just such an, an welling sense of the adequacy, the, 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 the idea that we can rest in God's word, because it, it is, you know, as, as Paul says to Timothy, it, it does equip the servant of God for every good work. And those servants of God are really, really different from each other. But they're all equipped uh, for every good work through the Bible.
0: When it comes to contending for the gospel, that large, beautiful story of God's saving work across the pages of the Bible seems really critical for us. Why Why do you say that's so important for our
1: contending work? I wonder if sometimes we can think that contending for the gospel is just about bringing individual Bible verses to bear on particular issues that pop up in the cultural life of of Australia or, or in our own networks. And while I guess that's an important thing to do, I, I think it does sell the Bible quite short because the, the Bible is, is not just sort of, um, you know, a medicine cabinet with with one bottle for this particular disease and another for that ailment, but, but it's a whole sort of, I don't know, fitness reg- regime and diet, if you want to push that metaphor <laughs> a little bit too far, um, It's it's got ways of of understanding uh, the culture in our world that are much more than just sort of parachuting in as a SWAT team and dealing with a particular issue, you know, with a verse or two or a passage or two and then then, um, airlifting out again. And the sort of thing I'm trying to get at is the way, for example, in which time and time and time again in the Bible, uh, God... um, God doesn't do things because he's forced to. He's he's a God of overflowing, superabundant grace. And that has the power to shape a whole way of being in the world for Christians. You know, God God didn't make the world because he needed to. There was no necessity, no logical uh, sort of um, iron chains of reason, meaning that he had to create the world. He didn't have to choose Noah, there's that amazing verse. Is it Genesis six, sort of around verse four or something that, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? And it's like for any reader of Genesis, at that point, is where on earth did that come from? Like nothing has prepared us for that. That is radically not necessary. You know, we, we should be we should be seeing the end of the world at this point. It's all gone wrong. Like where did that come from? You know, he didn't need to promise to Abraham in the in the lavish excessive way that he does in Genesis 15. Uh, And he most certainly did not need um, to die on the cross for us. He did it, you know, John says in his gospel, because he loved us. And this rhythm again and again and again of of God acts not out of some calculating necessity, but out of an an overflow of superabundant love it G- gives you a whole sense of reality, a whole sense of the world about what this world is about and how we as Christians are to try and live in it. There's much deeper, much richer than any particular Bible verse, although of course it's it's in line with the the whole shape of the bible and and there are there are passages that bring it out more vividly than others. so it's not it's not that we sort of disregard particular verses, but it's it's these rhythms, these patterns of biblical thinking. or one more. Uh, if if I can try your listeners' patience a little bit, um, just just the way in which God delights, and isn't this so so nourishing, so so wonderful of our God that He delights in choosing the lesser above the greater, you know? So so He makes the octogenarian Abram and Sarai, the 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 father, you know, Abram's the father of many nations. Just just to show that that he doesn't just pick the, you know the, the king in the castle or the pharaoh uh, on the throne. Um, it's it's Isaac uh, that's chosen. It's Jacob that's chosen, overturning all the laws of, you know who should go first uh, in life. And then you know when when God sends His son into the world, he he's not born in Caesar's palace. Um, he's you know he's born in the. Um equivalent of you know i don't know barnsley in the uk or or some sort of country town In you know he's not born in sydney he's not born in melbourne he's born in some place that you've got to look up on the map to know where it is because you, nobody's really heard of it um you know and he's he's born in a stable and and he's a carpenter's son and this this idea of god reversing our expectations he doesn't choose the rich people and the powerful people uh he he chooses you know as paul says that those those were nothing um, it, it again, if if we let that sink in, really sink in to the way that we see the world and to the rhythms of our own heart, it's completely transformative. You know, we we live in a world that is pretty much the exact opposite of that. You know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, the clever get cleverer and get all the breaks. Uh, and those, you know, who are start off on the bottom pretty much end up on the bottom. Um, and that's just the way that our society rolls um, and it's it's dehumanizing and it's objectionable um and it's unfair um, but the Bible shows us a better way and if if we live into lean into this way that the Bible rhythms reality, the way that God overturns all these um objectionable hierarchies, um I think it just opens up a whole vista of engaging. With, with with ourselves and our own identities and the world around us that that is unfathomably richer than just throwing out a couple of Bible verses.
0: I know you deal with uh, a lot of this at great length in your recent book, and that's been very helpful as I've been reading it myself. If there was one particular example that you think you could bring out that would give us a taste of the way in which this superabundance of God particularly meets an issue that we interact
1: with in the world around us, what one would you choose? I might choose the I might start off with the idea um, that a lot of people have written about recently. Um, notably the U.S. sort of political theorist, Michael Sandel, um, is it, the idea that we now live in what's called a, a market society. So we, we're used to the idea of a market for buying and selling goods. There's a price for everything you can exchange. If you've got, you got the money, you can exchange for the goods. That's, that's your market. Uh, but Sandel and, and others have argued that that's now not only how we exchange goods, it's become how we view everything. Everything is a transaction for us. Um, Love, security, companionship—they—they are being forced into this mold of the market. And Sandel Sandel's um, argument, uh, uh, and again others have made this too, is that things like love and security and companionship don't fit. That they—they—they they, they get corrupted uh, when they when they fit into that mold. Um, but the the Bible resolutely and stubbornly doesn't let us fit anything apart from you know, the buying and selling of goods into that mold. And it starts off with the way that we relate to God. So most religions and most secular people think that if there is a God, the way that we relate to him is going to be something like a business deal. I give the God something that he or she or it wants. Yeah, my worship, my sacrifice, my time, my allegiance, my money. And then I get something from the God that I want. And it, it just fits snugly in this market paradigm because that's the way we think about everything. But from the first page of the Bible until the last, God aggressively refuses that model um, and makes it very clear that he's the one who takes the initiative when it comes to dealing with us. He's the one who gives to us before we've got anything uh, to offer him, and, you know, and he makes a mockery in multiple places in the Bible of this idea that we could give him anything that he wants, like, you know, Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills of mine, like, what have you got that I did not give you? Like, what, what sort of business deal can we strike? Because, you know, last time I looked, I gave you life and breath and everything else. So there's there's not a lot you can give me that's not mine already. And and that, again, it's, it's one of these ideas that it's sort of, you can get it intellectually pretty quickly, but really to let it sink in and to realize that I don't relate to God in this tit-for-tat market way, but, but in terms of what the Bible calls grace, and that spills over then. If I, if I let that sink in, it spills over into my other relationships, into my search for security and companionship and love and all the fundamental things of life the things that that really make us human. Um, and, and it begins to, like some sort of really powerful acid, erode away this market mentality that we have in a way that I think is just really healthy and really humanizing uh, and really enriching, both for our own lives and for the lives of those around us.
0: Uh, the Gospel Coalition Australia has a website with a whole pile of great resources on it. But I wonder if there's something that you'd recommend uh, listeners go
1: and check out at the website. Well, there certainly is. I um, I love the way in which the the articles on the Gospel Coalition website give me angles on things that that I'm not particularly thinking about. You know, so I've I've got my little philosophical neck of the woods, and there, you know, there's all the philosophical questions, but um, that means that I I don't really have a lot of bandwidth to, to be thinking about other things that are really important. And I remember one article in particular that was just so insightful in an area that I thought very little about. But it, it gave me it gave me an orientation in that area. It's it's one by um, Mike Rater uh, called the the slow killing of congregational singing. And and he just sets out there what's at stake in the way that we sing in church. You know Whether we think of singing as a, a performance that's done from the front that we can join in with if we choose, or whether actually singing is something that knits us together as a community and that's fundamentally something that we are doing rather than something that we are consuming or watching. Um, and as I say, I hadn't particularly thought about it, but my goodness, when I'd read that article, you realize there's so much at stake in the way we think about how we sing in church. And it's just little moments like that. You know, they. I'd never thought about that, but now I can see it's really important moments that I love about reading these articles on the site.
0: Definitely. Uh, and we'll put a link to that article uh, in the show notes. Uh, thanks, Chris, for being with us today on Commending and Contending. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's been a real treat. Uh, This podcast is made by the Gospel Coalition Australia. You can help us by sharing this episode with friends, uh, perhaps with your Bible study group or others at church, and going to our website and making a donation to grow the networks of Australian voices speaking the gospel to Australians.